so good to see you again. Um, it's great to be back. I was uh, gone this past week with my, my family in Michigan. It was so good to be back. Um, or it was so good to be there, but it was even better to come back. Um, I said this last night, like, when you have coworkers like I have, it's good to come back to your job. And when I get to see your beautiful faces every week, it's good to have this job. It's, it's, it's hard to even call it a job. I love what I do. It's good to see you. Um, question. Are you having fun this summer? Yeah? I'm having a blast. Well, this morning, I want to um, do a quick review. And so get your catching hands on and look alive. Um, but as I do this, as I do this, um, <laughs> last night we tried an experiment that didn't really work out that well. Uh, and I'm thinking, ladies, I'm thinking maybe it's because we used all dudes up here. So I've asked a few ladies to step up to the plate. And so I'm going to ask um, Alyssa and Brianne and Brigetta to come on up. And they are going to, um, let's give it up for these ladies. <laughs> My wife's like downing coffee, like, OK, I need some energy for this. Uh, have you guys ever seen a uh, pregnant woman do double dutch? <laughs> Not today. Well, today we are going to um, do a simple experiment. When I say simple, I don't mean that it's easy, but hopefully it's simple. Oh, boy. Um, so I'm going to have you, Alyssa, over here. And going to stand about yay, like this, okay? And then Brianne, you'll stand there. Now, have you guys ever double dutched? No. Oh, wait a minute. They're like, no, 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 I've never done it. Well, you're lucky because last night we did that and everybody was like. <laughs> and then I'm like, can we get some volunteers to do double dutch? Nothing. Nothing. So thank you for saying that. But the good news is, is I've arranged this ahead of time. Um, Brigetta says she can jump rope, but she's not sure if she can do double dutch. So let's be extremely gracious with these ladies. This is completely on the spot. I didn't organize this before, like 10 minutes before the service. So, but I want to simply illustrate the direction we're going. So what I'm going to ask these ladies to do is just simply do your thing in the next few minutes. You know, don't worry if you mess up. It'll probably take you several times before you get it. And um, while you're doing that, I'm going to simply review with you guys. And there's going to be a lot happening. And so uh, just uh, bear with me, all right? So you ladies, go right ahead and see what we can do. Uh, so on week one, we saw that relationship is the currency for change. No one's paying attention to me. Come on. This already is a lot better than last night. See, they're communicating. Do you see what's happening here? Give it up for the ladies. The ladies are bringing it. All right, this is it. Let's do it. Oh! Oh! Keep going. You got this. All right, so I'm going to keep talking, and you can watch them, but just 
Put your ears on me for a minute, all right? So first week was the relationship is the currency for change. We see people in our lives that we want to see change. Like maybe to the point where you're like, that person has got to change. Well, the way that happens is through relationship. So relationship is the currency for change. But here's the thing. And we're going to explore this a little bit today. Like, we're not in charge of those results. It's not our power. It's not our strength that does it. It's God's strength. And so what we want to see done in people's lives is actually what God dreams, what God sees, what God hopes for. So this is the phrase we hit on week two, was that what God wants to do to the people, He will do through His people. What God wants to do to the people will happen through His people. Now, we all volunteer. We all step up and we say, you know what? We all step up and we say, we're willing to be in relationship. Whether it's our spouse, whether it's our, our, our kin, whether it's our coworkers, whether it's our friends whether it's our neighbors, whatever it is. Like, we'll step into that. But we know that when you step into a relationship, relationship is exposure to all the elements of death and life. We've all been in that boat. Where we've stepped into relationship and it's felt like you've been exposed to all the elements of death. But you know, and I know, and we've learned that Jesus came to expose us to all the elements of life to all the elements of eternal life through himself. So relationship is exposure to the, all the elements of life and death. Look out. Now, you move in, you lean forward for the kiss, we learned. And my friend, as he leaned forward for the kiss uh, in fifth grade, and as he kissed that girl accidentally like under her chin because she moved away so fast, she was not ready for the kiss. The signals were crossed. But when he leaned in and he felt exposure to all the elements of life and death, this thing happened where he felt like he fell on his face. But knowing what Jesus did for us brings us exposure to all the elements of life. So when we have relationship with him, this is it, this is it. When we have relationship Thank you, ladies, for trying. I'll give you a couple more minutes. Just take a breath. Focus. Think about what you practiced. You didn't practice, I know. All right. It might. We have extension cords. Should we try that? All right. We'll give you one more try, and we'll all watch. This is it. This is like, this is the last chance. She got one. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Give it up for these ladies. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll work with that. We'll work with that. All right. So when we lean in for that relationship, we learn that all things heat up. Like there's an energy that happens. 
Intimacy happens. When things heat up, everything changes. All right, ready? Now, what is intimacy? We hit it for two weeks. We hit it for two weeks. The intimacy was to fully know and to be fully known. That when we fully search the depths of who God is, and that He already fully knows us, there begins to have this intimacy with God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and His Holy Spirit. And this amazing thing happens here that now can flow to you and I. In all the appropriate ways of a marriage, and what intimacy looks like in the marriage bed, to all the other appropriate ways of what intimacy looks like with your fellow friends and your fellow neighbors and your coworkers. The intimacy is to be completely known and to fully be known. And to, to fully know and to be fully known. Now we know too that relationship, we're not doing so well in catching these guys. Let's step up our game, all right? Relationship is the bridge to intimacy. We want intimacy with people. We want that closeness. But we know that the way to get that is through relationship. It's the same way backing up with God. Like we can't know God. We can't seek God without naturally having a relationship with Him. That's what He ultimately desires. He wants us to know intimacy through the picture of your relationship through Him with him so that it would flow to all those other people in your life. So relationship is the bridge to intimacy. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice catch, Carol. <laughs> nice. That was great. Now, all right, we can all talk lollipops and marshmallows. We know that relationships are hard. Uh, relationships are never um, this simple, smooth sailing thing. In fact, we use the analogy of like a creek or a river. And we said that, that when things get rocky, there's an opportunity for beauty. That what makes a creek or a river flow so beautifully that it's on all your little calendars and, and it's just this picture-perfect thing. It's because of the rocks. So that we said that a healthy relationship is not one that has no conflict. But a healthy relationship is one that has figured out how to navigate the pathways of how to deal with conflict. And so that when things get rocky, there is an absolute opportunity for beauty. Yes! Now, Christ challenged us in relationship to go out further, as we just sang, like as we are led by the Spirit, He's calling us to deeper waters. And as we do that, we trust. As we step out of the boat, we trust. But knowing that we're in this boat together, that sometimes there's trust, but there's also doubt. And that doubt in the church goes together. Like, God's not afraid of your hard questions. He's not afraid of your doubt at first because He wants to answer those questions through Him, through His Word, through His power. He wants to bring clarity to what He ultimately is teaching us. And so we learn that trust and doubt are in the same boat. Look out. Now, last week, Quint did a great job. 
and uh, I heard that he talked about sandwiches or something. I don't know what that's about, but through the life of Daniel, we learned that when we journey well, we offer hope and encouragement to others. See, when people see that your relationships are healthy, when people see that your marriage is healthy, when people see how you respond when someone's a complete jerk to you, when they see how you respond when you're in an abusive situation, when they see how you respond when things get rocky, they see hope. They see encouragement in your life. It exemplifies that no matter what circumstances you are in, like Daniel, you exemplify the glory of God in your life. So when we journey well, we offer hope and encouragement to others. Last, this was a few weeks ago. Nice try. That was a good run. It's good. Oh, by the way, you got to turn these back in. I need to clarify that every week because people keep stealing these. Even though it says, please return to the stage after, thanks, and it has a cross on it. <laughs> All right? This is not registering. We need these back. Okay? Um, so, as Pastor Ben had shared, our mission, our hope, and every teaching that we do flows from this hope of being on mission. It's a church shouldn't do outreach. Church should be outreach. Like, it shouldn't be this thing that, like, okay, now that we have this, like, let's think of the best ways to, let's, let's, let's conjure up these great programs, these great, no, no, no. It should be a natural overflow of who we are as a church, as a body. And I see so many people smiling and shaking their heads. Did you get it? You understand this aspect. That it, it, it is not this, like, this reinventing the wheel. Even back to the early church, the very first days of these first Christians, they got this. That it was this natural overflow. That who they were to one another in relationship was a natural overflow to those that didn't know the power in the name of Jesus Christ that could save them. And so this is the beautiful challenge for us and quite honestly, specifically in the next couple weeks, this very week, tomorrow, to, uh, for us as a church to, to focus on this aspect that we are being the church. This is what we do. And, and we hear all the time, like, how conduit's unique and how we're always doing these things. For the, we're pouring back into the community and we're, we're doing all these things for the city. We love the city. Like, we're hearing these things a lot. And, and like, part of our response is, is like, wait, like, isn't this what we're supposed to be doing? Like, why are we sticking out like a sore thumb? When we're, like, we could do so much more even to love this city, to love our community, important in our community. Like, this is, should be a natural overflow that a church shouldn't do outreach, but the church should be outreach. Yes. End on a make. End on a make. All right. Let me get set back up here. And... Um, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and I've done this the last couple weeks. I've asked you to uh, simply, or the, all summer actually, I've, I've asked you to read this on your own. So everybody's going to need a Bible. So if you need a Bible, would you just raise your hand? If you don't have one of your own, or if you don't have it in your phone, just raise your hand. We've got some guys in the back who would love to give you one. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'd like you to just take the next few moments and just read through that on your own.
Philippians 2, verse 111. Um, what page is that on for the conduit Bibles? 637. Alright, alright. Yeah, that was good. It's good. So, actually, let me pray. Lord, just I ask that your word come alive, that your Holy Spirit would speak again. Even though we're hitting this a few different times this morning, that it would resonate in our heart, that it would come clear in how it applies to our life. And that today we would see that, Jesus, you are the harmony of God. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Church of Philippi. The Church of Philippi was established, or excuse me, the the city of Philippi was established about 356 B.C. And as it was established, it was obviously a little bit smaller than Rome, but obviously uh, under Roman rule and government, and they tried to echo what was happening in Rome. Even though smaller, the the governing structure was the same. The the idea of the Roman dream was the same. There was a lot of civilized things happening, trying to be established. And certainly as these first Christians were being established, as many were coming to the saving knowledge and the power of Christ, that their sins could be forgiven by faith in Jesus, they were bonded together. And the Apostle Paul, who is the greatest church planner, writes a letter from prison. Perhaps uh, many believe that he was in prison in Rome at this time. And he's writing a letter to this church in Philippi, this new church, this church that was on the move, on the growth, and they were in this understanding that as they grow, that there was different people from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic perspectives, from different political perspectives, from different like angles of how they do life, and different ages, different genders, and different, different ways to do life, from different backgrounds, from different family structures, from different, every, every angle you could think of, this screams diversity. Diversity is the most beautiful sign of the church. Diversity is the most beautiful sign of the church. But why do so many of our churches look the same? Why when you walk in a certain church, you're like, oh, everybody here is like this. And you walk in that church, oh, everybody must wear this. And everybody must 
vote this way. Like, why, why on earth have we made that? Like, as we've become civilized, even in Jamestown, even the, the most amazing country in the world, we've made things so civilized that it's actually divided us. When freedom, Christ has brought, was to bring all those things together, to breed and to understand and to receive diversity. That in diversity, that there would be an absolute, here it is, harmony. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he's saying that I, my, like, my greatest desire, like if you have any affection, you have any comfort from love, you have any participation in the Spirit, you have any sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you, not to the interests of... Or excuse me, look each of you, not only to his own interests, also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul is challenging us, and we've read this a few times. Hopefully this is starting to sink in. This is a plea from the church planner Paul, who had been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus, and he's pleading for a couple things here. He's pleading for humility. He's pleading for unity. But the greatest thing that his, this, this bleeds and this screams out, he's pleading for the church to be in harmony. Now, this summer, in all the Frisbees that we threw out, we've talked a lot about intimacy, and we've talked a lot about conflict. We've talked about conflict resolution to the point where, like, we get this part so that we can now flow to the relationships of our life. Like, like it's about God's glory, my joy, and for their behalf. It's about my God, myself, and my people. That's what relationship looks like. It can flow from him to you. But here's the thing. Like, we get this thing in our relationships, in our lives, that the, that the goal, the end goal, is for us to, to sit at this table with our people and to just not fight and to just get along. And that's not, like, the end of it. God doesn't want you to just not argue with your brothers and sisters. He doesn't just want peace in the relationship. He wants something greater. He wants something better, and it's called harmony. It's called harmony. So today, the Frisbee phrase is this. When we let Jesus come between us, then naturally nothing else will. When we let Jesus come between us, then naturally nothing else will. Now you can apply this to every relationship in your life. Even if the person does not know Jesus. Even if the person is maybe even deceased and gone. That you can still have harmony with what they've done to you and who they are to you. And you still have that angle even if they're not even here. If you can't touch them. You can't communicate with them. That harmony can still take place because you strategically, humbly place Christ between you. And when you put, when you let Jesus...
come between you, then naturally nothing else will. There will be this energy that comes called harmony. Now, I know our culture has hijacked this word harmony, and when we say harmony, we think e-harmony. Like we think all these things like, okay, we're talking about dating today, harmony. That's cute, Corey, that you added harmony with it. That's not where we're going. Like, this is past conflict resolution. This is past you just, like, like being cordial with one another. No, no, no. God wants you and you to be in absolute harmony together. So there's this energy that happens that in the body of Christ that it overflows on mission to this community. He wants you and I to be not just unified. He wants us to have this energy with one another, this harmony through the power of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that it changes lives because of how we treat one another. And not just how we get along. Like, there should be this harmony that happens in every body of Christ. In this city, in this region, in this county, in this state, in this country, in this world. And this harmony happens when we see tragedy. When we see 21 um, brave men beheaded by ISIS for the gospel. Care who you are, what church you go to. Like you believe in Jesus. You, you, like you see the harmony of what Christ did for us. And all of a sudden, like that just burns you up inside. That the harmony is not always through the most beautiful thing, but through that tragedy, through that like absolute martyrdom, you see harmony between believers. Think of 9-11. Think of any other time our country has been rallied around, or even the body of Christ has rallied around one common cause, and it's harmonized us together. That's what he's calling us to. To not just coexist, like the bumper sticker always says. He wants us to be harmonized by the gospel in one mind, in full accord, moving forward together. Now, this doesn't happen by the five steps to get along better and have harmony with your spouse, or the three steps in how to have a better relationship with those that you can't stand. This happens, like Paul doesn't go into, again, this is, a, this is an organized dude. Like he had a plan. He planted all these churches. He oversaw as an apostle. He saw like growth happen, new churches happening. He'd been through a lot, been to jail several times, shipwrecked three times, bitten by a snake, all through this process of the gospel. And through this, he's saying to you and I that we can be of one mind. Let me prove it. When, when Jesus, or excuse me, when Paul um, started this church in Philippi. It talks about in Acts 16 that there, there were obviously more than, than three, but, but three of one of the first three of converts of the church of Philippi, do you know who they were? I love this. And I, I, like, I don't know how we miss this in our church, in our culture, in our life. First three converts, the first one was, and it talks about in Acts 16, was a, a woman named Lydia. Now Lydia was a successful businesswoman. I mean, she had, she had it all. Like, pantsuit and everything. She had it all together. That was, that was wrong. I should have said that. She, she was really um, successful to the point where God saw her life 
It did not say she's secondary. And like, oh, let's first get her, let's get her a family so that she's got some worth. And, and then like, let's get her some, and then we'll, no, 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 no. God saw her right where she was and said, this woman is going to do some damage for the kingdom of Christ. And it says that her heart was opened up to God. Second convert was, as Paul was in jail, uh, this uh, Philippian jailer was uh, supposed to be in watch over Paul and Silas. And the story goes how, how Paul and Silas were praising Jesus. They were worshiping Jesus. And it, like this earthquake came, and the doors flew open. And it was an opportunity for Paul and Silas to be like, Yo, we're praising Jesus, we're out of here. But they didn't, they stayed. And to the point where the, the, uh, the jailer realized that like, this was going to mean he was going to die because if his prisoners got out, then he'd be done. And so he runs in in the darkness in the, in the cell and he is ready to commit suicide. And to the point where Paul's like, no, 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 wait, wait, we're still here. And through relationship and through the praise of the name of Jesus, and through the, the authentic nature of all those Frisbees and everything that it talks about. You want to talk about tension? You want to talk about conflict? The dude that's on the other side of the jail cell has held them in. And here they are. They're free to go. And they don't go because they saw that this jailer had a soul. And it says, he hit to the point where he's like, like, how do I be saved? How do I have this Jesus? And Paul's like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In your house. So, so here comes the jailer and his family and all his little kids ready to check in at the screen to uh, Philippian uh, kids. Um, and they're ready to go. And here you got Lydia and you got this jailer. You talk about diversity. And then the, the, the third is this, this, uh, this slave girl who had been involved in the occult. So these, even just these examples, guys, listen to this. There's diversity. And Paul is saying, I want you to be still of one mind, one heart, one hope, on mission. But he doesn't say, well, here's the five steps of how to treat one another. Here's how to make it work. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He says, we want to look at one person as an example. We don't need a five-step process. You need to just look at Jesus. How do you have harmony with those around you? Those you live with? Those you work with? Those you're parenting? You look at Jesus. How do you esteem and lift others up around you higher than yourself? You look at Jesus. See, Jesus, when he sat at the table... His response was not, serve me. His response was to get on his knees and serve you. When he came to this world as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he didn't walk in saying, all right, I'm ready. Worship me now. I am the King. No, that's not what happened. He humbled himself to the point of shame cross, arms spread, completely naked and exposed for you. He lowered himself 
so that you can feel exalted, so that you can feel honored, so that you can feel saved. He did this for relationship with you. He didn't do this as some display ultimately for him, for Jesus. It was, this is for my Father's glory. Man, do I receive joy. It says in Hebrews that for the joy, he did this. And then he did this on behalf of you and I. So this frees us up to have harmony with one another. When we let Jesus come between us, naturally nothing else will. One of the best examples of harmony or, or lack of harmony is the merge lane on the interstate. How many road ragers out there? How many aggressive drivers? That, how many aggressive drivers that have had to take defensive driving classes several times? Me and Bryant and Lynn, awesome. There's this thing that happens. I feel like I'm a pretty nice guy. You put me behind the wheel, watch out. Like, I'm going to be in the front. I'm going to be going. Get out of my way. Why are you going so slow? Why are you, like, it's, it's bad. But the merge lane is a whole different deal. Because there's like, there's this entitlement. Like, okay, you got your cruise on. You're in the right lane. Oh, there's a merge. Here we go. There's a car coming up. And there's this, like, thing that rises up in. It's like, oh, no, you don't. I like I don't want to move my foot from this to this and have to tap my brake. I don't want to go through all that trouble. Like then there's this like, oh yeah, what's up? And then they're like, if you're the one merging, you're like either going like Mach five to try to speed up and get in front of that person, or you're like the rest of you calm, normal Christian people, calm down and go forty, then forty five, then fifty, and like slowly get in line. Like in in that merge. There's this beautiful opportunity for harmony. Because when you're on the right lane, you have this opportunity to, like, no matter what, get over, put your blinker on, make a way. Hey, come on up, join us in the interstate. It's a great place, right? Like, there's this beautiful opportunity for harmony. But yet we don't do that for one reason or another. We don't like the color of the car, the kind of car, that that car's nicer than mine, or that car's faster than mine, or that person's on their phone while they're trying to merge. Like, how dare they? I'm going to make them go on the shoulder. Like, all this crazy stuff. And, like, this opportunity for harmony was lost. And this is, like, this is an example. But we do this in our lives, right? The new guy at work. The rookie. Teacher. Spouse messes up. It's an opportunity to show them they should have merged faster. When we, we're opportunists in our relationships. And so like when we sit at a table with them, we, we, we sit at what they've done or what they've not done. The expectations that they've met or that they've not met. And it's all listed out. And we've, lit, we've allowed that to become between us. And because of that, we cannot have harmony. And what Jesus is saying is like, hey, hey, hey. Like I want you to be of the same mind, the same heart full of court. Like the whole idea. But this is how you do it. You take all that off the table and you look at the example of Jesus. And not that Jesus was just this nice guy. No, because Jesus stood for truth. When Jesus saw something wrong in the temple, what did he do? That they were disrespecting and, and dis, dishonoring the way that the church was supposed to be. He flipped tables. 
He made a whip and he made them all get out of there. Like, literally, that was not like a gentle moment. That wasn't wrong, though. He was standing for truth. But then there's this other thing, and I'll be honest. Like, this is where I feel that God has has really been teaching me this year. Um, Specifically the last few weeks in my life. Um, When... Okay, let's just get real. In your relationships, in the relationships that I... Is this thing working? You guys hear me okay? Sometimes we feel like we have this uh, need or power to control the other person, whether it's your child or your spouse or your coworker or the person on the merge lane. Like as if it's our job to change them. God wants to use you as a conduit to change them, but it's his power, it's his work, it's his timing. It's his job. And so I feel like what, I've, what I find myself doing is taking on that responsibility to the point of stress. Taking on that re- re- responsibility like it's my job, and it's not. Um, this power to control others. And as you're sitting there at the table in relationship with somebody... You put all these things in between you. Well, this is what, where they need to change. And this is what they need to do. And this is how it's my job to hold them accountable and to change them. It's not. It's our job to speak truth. And by hold accountable, it's our job to speak truth. But it's never our job to change them. And this is something I'm learning. And that, like what God is calling us to in harmony is something better than just getting along. Because here's the thing, like if you've had conflict with someone, if you've had conflict resolution with someone, then all of a sudden, like, yeah, yeah, you're cordial, you're good. But then there's this like list that each of you have, like, well, if they just need to do that, and they just need to not do that. Is you do it right? Or is it just me? Okay, me and Vinny. Me and Vinny have these relationships in our life. No, I think we all struggle with this. It's this need to control. And, in, in, and one of the reasons, or how this is teaching me in my life, is I'm seeing the example of Jesus. Jesus was not controlling. He's, he's God, and he was not controlling. One of my kids asked me recently about, um, why didn't, basically the question was like, why didn't God make us all to automatically love him and not, make, not sin and not make mistakes? Like, why did, he, why did he do that now? But, like, why did he do that with Adam and Eve? What, like, why did, it would have been easier. This whole world would have been, like, it would have been easier. But, but here's the thing. If love is forced, it's not love. If love is forced, it's not love. And God, the creator in us, has been created in the image of God. We understand that. Like, you can't make somebody love you. Um, I got dumped once. Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe. Like, 
who would dump that guy, right? Um, it was probably the easiest dump that sh no, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> this was probably the easiest breakup she's ever had. Uh, because, like, I wasn't like, I will make you love me. No, like, that was not it, right? There's this moment in that when you feel like this small, but you're like, well, if love is forced, or if I talk you into it or course you into it, then it's not love. Right? Um, this was the example of Jesus. Jesus, when, when he talked to the rich young ruler, when he walked away extremely sad, when Jesus challenged him to give everything up and follow him, Jesus didn't chase him. And there's example after example of Jesus not forcing himself on us, not forcing himself on others. Don't get me wrong. Like, he's sovereign. He is in supreme power. And in this weird balance of tension, in this weird balance of love, God loves us to the point that he's wooing us to himself. He's not forcing us to this point. However, this is where we stand in harmony. That one day, <laughs> every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But Jesus knows that's at that eternal moment. He wants us in our 70 years, our 38 years, our 12 years, the, the years that we're on this earth, He wants us to love Him. He's a jealous God. That's not a weakness. It shows you how much He loves you. That He doesn't love you because He's supposed to. He doesn't love you because He has to. He doesn't love you because, oh, my dad's making me do it. Jesus loves you because He loves you. Because that's His very character. It's His very nature. He loves. Not forcefully. We don't have this need to be a bull in a china shop. We don't need to walk in the room and control everything in the room. We don't need to control that son, that daughter, to the point where you will love me. Well, they need to obey. That's part of parenting and training up your child. But like as far as the love aspect, you woo them with your love. It's this gentle, gentle thing that Jesus exemplifies. And, and this is it. As we walk out today in your life, what areas, what relationships are not in harmony? And like can I invite you to take the list that you have for those people? Put it down. Put down your sword. Put down your weapon and love like Jesus. Put Jesus between you. And not just Jesus, the nice guy. Jesus, the one who his body was broken for you broken for them. His blood that was shed for you was shed for them. So, um, land this plane, Corey. Land this plane. The 
great theologian, G.K. Chesterton. This is one of my new favorite quotes. He says, <laughs> so he was asked, he's written a lot, he's a lot of lectures, a lot of things that like, people want to know this. And so they asked him, they said, what is wrong with this world, G.K. Chesterton? What is wrong with this world? And this was his response. I am. <laughs> I love that! Because he first starts with him. He knows that the relationship he has with God the Father is not his, the distance is not his fault. It's his fault. He recognizes that he falls short of this glory and this holy God. But then he also recognizes that Jesus made a way for him to be with God. That's the plan. That's the gospel. That's life-changing. But then he also realizes that in, the, in regards to this world, that he's, it, it starts with him. It starts with him. And all the relationships that flow, that's where it starts. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in, in James 4.1 that the source of of conflict and the source of quarrels <laughs> is us. Even if like on paper in the court of law of relationships you, like you may be not guilty but there's something in there like that you need to examine. That you need to first one like step one is to confront in order for harmony to happen. Like focus on where you're at. What Christ has done to you. Focus on what's happening here. What he's set you free from. What he's given you grace to. Like, there's all these things that we bring into relationship that we don't even realize. May we stop and understand that, first of all, God has given us grace. Now we can give them grace. In Matthew chapter 19, it says this is the causes that, that leads to a lot of divorce, is that there's a hardness of heart in the individual. See, a lot of times there's these reasons that we put on paper of why this happened, but in reality, maybe there's a hardness of heart, which is actually the greater sin. And, and I use this as an example in Matthew 19 for divorce, but this is any relationship. This is any break. This is anything that happens that is several. One person says, I'm done, I'm out. Matthew 7 challenges us. And there's, listen, there's grace in that. And there's grace in that mistake. There's the grace in realizing that you've given up. Because here's the thing. We're in a room full of people that have given up in certain points in their life. We're in a room full of people that have missed the mark. Welcome to church. Welcome to a place that's full of grace. Welcome to a place where the one who given us grace has now made a way for us to be with God and now we can carry that to the relationships that we have today. If there's reconciliation that needs to be happen, take it to the place of reconciliation because you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. But today receive his grace. Receive his mercy and move on mission. In Matthew 7 he challenged us to, to first take the log out of our own eye uh, or if you remember Pastor Ben's ginormous uh, 
four by six or something that he about hit four of you in the head with. Like, there's this moment that we have to look at ourselves. We're ready to go all Matthew 18 on people when first we need to go all the rest of the Bible on ourselves. We need to look at ourselves in the mirror. We need to confront where we're at. And then go to God first and say, God, where am I missing the boat? What am I missing? And then, then all of a sudden, when you start examining, as David talks about, when you start examining your heart and you see the wickedness that happens, you don't then go to that person and take that out on them. You go to Christ. You go to God and you go and you say, God, this is you that is giving me newness of life. This is you that has given me forgiveness. This is you that's, that, that when like the worst case scenario comes and the worst thing you've ever done and you ask God about it, his response is, I don't remember that. And now we can deal with them in that same manner. I don't, I don't even remember, dude. It's cool. It's all good. And mean it. So this is Paul's appeal to the church of Philippi for humility, for unity, but something greater, which is harmony. Now, I, I know this is difficult for many of us, um, I know this is difficult for many of us because you're simply, or I'm simply, because of circumstance or life or one reason or another, we're not in harmony with others. We sit at the table with them, or like metaphorically at this table that has been represented so many things, and, and like it's, there's just not a harmony. And, and you may really examine yourself and you may really seek the Lord on this and, and you have such a peace about where you're at, where God's leading you, what you're doing. But that person like, isn't in the same game and that person is not, may not even know Christ, may not even know the power of the newness of life that He can bring. When we let Jesus come between us, naturally nothing else will they may never even realize. They may never even notice. But that's not the point. Because you're not doing it for them. First, you're doing it for the glory of God. And you're doing it for the joy that He brings because you're bringing harmony to the situation. You're bringing forgiveness and grace in the situation. And then if they notice and it's for their behalf, awesome. But they may ne never notice. They may, they may never see that every angle you take that you place Jesus between you and them. Not as a shield or some pious, like, I'm taking the high road, I got Jesus, or I'm all like into my church, it's awesome, but I can treat you how I want. No, 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 no. Like, do what Jesus did. Do what Paul is, is proclaiming and pleading for us to do. Look at the example of Jesus. Look how he lifted others above himself. Like, even remember, like, some of the conversations of the disciples of, like, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Or, like, my kids, like, who's the strongest? And they're all, like, taking off their shirts and showing them. Like, there's those conversations all the time. Because let's face it, if you're around the Son of God, you feel pretty powerful. But even in their conversation, Jesus isn't like, stop it! I'm the Son of God! Y'all be quiet! I'm the strongest! Like, he's not. He lets them do their thing. Why? Because he finds joy in that. He finds joy in them feeling full of hope, 
feeling joy, feeling, feeling this strength that comes from God. And even in the moment, not even realizing that it comes from God, God's content and He's like loves the fact that these guys are conversating about it. He looks at you and He looks at me and He sees harmony. He sees this example, which did not go so great as an example. And you see these ladies up here. Hey, they, were, they tried, right? Then that's the point, right? We just do our part. Because it's not us that's in charge of the results. And as they are going, and, whoa, as they are going and they are flowing, there's this absolute harmony that happens between them. Like they didn't practice. They didn't watch some YouTube video to like, like make sure they knew how to do this. Got up here in front of all y'all and they tried it. And, and as Pastor Ben pointed out last night after, he's like, there's this point too where like as the two people start, that one of them has to start it. And that's what leadership is. But here's the funny thing is probably none of you ever noticed who was actually leading. You just saw two people in harmony. And it's never about us taking credit. It's never about us like, okay, just want to let you two know I'm in charge and I'm going to start and you will follow me. No, there's not that. There's just this moment that is awkward at the beginning. Like, oh, you're like, oh, and this is that. But it's, that's how our lives are. But in, like, embrace the awkwardness. Embrace forgiveness. Embrace grace. And be in absolute harmony with the other person. Now, here's why we did that today. And I know you can imagine it actually working. You've seen this done before. Maybe it was back in 1983, the playground. But you've seen this work. Now, in the playground, where are all the people lined up to be a part of this? They're lined up to be the person in the middle. Everybody wants the chance, maybe not on a stage at church in front of all y'all, but everybody wants a chance in the playground to come in and to be in the middle. Because it's about the person in the middle. Because when the person in the middle is in full amusement, it's a goal. It's the point. That this person's in harmony, and this person's in harmony, and the person in the middle is getting all the glory. When we place Jesus between us, you and I are in harmony. But it's not about who leaned in first for the kiss. It's not about who stuck their hand out first to resolve the conflict. It's not about the first person that made the first step. It's about the harmony that happens between us so that the one in the middle, the one who sacrificed it all, can be glorified. You being in harmony with that person isn't about you. It's not even about them. It's about the one in the middle. So my challenge to you is regardless of where you're at in relationship with your fellow man, and I understand this is, a, this is a hard thing. It's not a, well, that was encouraging. Even though harmony is encouraging, I know a lot of you are in a tough spot. But see the perspective of this. As it was in that day for Lydia, for this jailer, for this young slave girl. They were in, of one accord. They were in one mind. The same love. Because they had harmony. Jesus was the sinner. Lydia didn't come in and was like, hey y'all, aren't y'all glad you got me, Church of Philippi? I'm, the, I'm like financing this thing. Like I got it all together. 
I'm not sure what y'all are doing, but no. Her response, I'm sure of it, was this response of humility. Oh, what a beautiful family you have, jailer. Um, I'm stretching this a little bit, but there was, they're in one accord, they're in one mind. And how do I know that that's true? Because what the church did, there was a natural overflow, which I talked about at the beginning, that they didn't have to come together, Lydia, the slave girl, Paul, and this uh, jailer, and be like, hey guys, we want to get more people to come to our church. How do we do this? Let's think of some cool programs to do. No, 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 no. They just loved one another. They took care of one another. And in that harmony, Christ was in the middle. This morning, I want to end with communion. Communion is our response to harmony with God. God is in the seat. We are in this seat. We have offended a holy God because of our sin. We have stiff-armed and separated ourselves. But when we let Jesus come between us, nothing else will. Communion is a simple invitation to take part in what Jesus did to remember what Christ did. It's a simple invitation for you to come to take the bread, the body of Christ, and to dip it in the blood of Christ, the juice, and to remember that Christ made a way for you to be with God. And so that the harmony between you and God, even God the Father, wants to put Jesus in the middle. He wants His Son elevated. He wants His Son to be the Messiah. He wants His Son to be honored. And so Jesus is the harmony of God. So would you stand? Would you come forward and know that by you doing this, you've placed Christ at the center of not just your heart, of not just your mind, but in every relationship that you have. And that the people in your life, on the other side of the table, May you also remember that God was broken and poured out for them so that you can have harmony. Would you come?